The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to slash gold. This is episode 159, part one. I hope everyone is doing great so far this week. I hope you had a fantastic President's Day, whatever that means to you folks. Whether that is a barbecue and beer, just lounging around on the couch, catching up on podcasts, working on uh, the start of your new spring garden that you should be able to work on shortly. Whatever that is, I hope you had a great time, folks. Maggie and I went and we picked up one of those uh, sort of bouncy swings for Willie G. You know, this one comes with a stand. I know the old-fashioned ones. I think the one my mother had for me, it was a swinger, so it attached to the doorway. I could kind of remember it. I think my father got drunk one time, went outside, attached it to a tree. He pulled me back and tried to slingshot me across the yard like a midget flying out of a cannon. <laughs> he didn't do that, but it would have been fun. So anyway, we picked up one of these. It's, it's a new kind. It's got a stand, and there's a chain hanging in the middle. It looks like a torture device, to be honest with you. Or you could hang some kind of a cauldron in the middle of it and cook up some sort of a witch's brew. Well, anyway, there's there's like a little uh, material diaper, and you put them inside, and then they're able to kind of bounce around. It helps strengthen their legs. Uh, we didn't use it yet. Uh, he's still a little wobbly. I think another couple of weeks, we might be able to give it a test run. I did take the wheels off his uh, walker. Not the walker like your grandmother uses. You know, this is the circular one. It's got wheels on the bottom, a little tray. So I tested him out in there. Marie Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, gave us some tips. So I took the wheels off, and I put it on the ground, and I tested it out, and he could reach the bottom with flat feet. You want to make sure their feet are flat, you know, and no shoes because you're trying to help the arches in their feet develop and help strengthen their legs. And then I wrapped uh, a blanket around him and put him down in there so he fit tight. And he stood up for about five minutes. I was just had to sit right there and watch him. When he got a little wobbly, meaning he was getting a little tired, I took him out. But he's rolling over back to belly, belly to back now, inside of his crib. Uh, he's got this pillow that he really likes that a friend of ours gave us, and he sleeps on that sometimes when he takes these little 30, 45-minute naps during the day. And um, the other morning, he had woke up really early, like 5.30. I wanted Maggie to get some sleep, so I snuck him out of the room, and uh, I have this big afghan uh, that, that I put him on top of. And uh, I'm sorry, not an Afghan, an ottoman. I have a big ottoman. And I put him on top with his pillow. Yeah, it's just like a foot, foot and a half off the ground. And I fell asleep on the couch. And all of a sudden, he's laughing and giggling. 
And I turn and look, you know, half awake, and he pushes with his feet now so that his head is hanging back over the pillow, and he's arched, and he's giggling and everything. So Maggie caught him doing that again. Now we just put it on the floor. So this way, if he falls, it's a matter of three inches, and he's on top of a blanket. If he falls off the ottoman, he's going 18 inches down. That's like you or I jumping off of the Empire State Building. (laughs) So he's uh, close, folks. He's on the move. He gets really angry now when he can't crawl. He sits there. He kicks his legs like a frog, and his arms are kind of moving when he's on his stomach, and he gets upset. So anyway, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Last night, Maggie tried to put him to bed, and then she was in the bathroom, so then I heard him whining. I came out. I took him out of the cradle. So he still sleeps in the cradle next to the bed, and I had him. uh, I pick him up now. I could fly him around like Superman. His head is strong enough, so that's a lot of fun. And then I do a sound effects show, and we play Russia-Ukraine. I launch little missiles at him, like... And he has to guess, did that come from Russia? Did that come from Ukraine? Or was that a secret missile launched by the United States and blamed on Russia and or Ukraine? Who knows? You know, it's a lot of fun. So we do that. And then we uh, do like a beatbox with him. And he's a little DJ. It's a lot of fun, folks. A lot of fun. So yesterday, after we did the interview with Wide Awake Jim, Maggie and I went and got that swing. And then we went and took him on about a half-hour hike. It was like a one-mile loop around this man-made leak, uh, lake over there called uh, Greenbrier Park. So that was fun. He had a good time. He's much more aware of everything that's going on. He got to see the water. I like to pick up sand, show him sand, show him leaves and bark, you know, really introduce him to everything. So we did that yesterday. It was great. And then we cooked up a couple of those grass-fed steaks I told you about delicious folks i've got a great recipe i will eventually share that i don't want to put it in the beginning of the show here but they were uh, perfect i love cooking steak and uh, these were great really 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 good really tender you could taste the difference in the meat between the grass-fed no antibiotics and then you know steaks you'd pick up at the store so that was a lot of fun and then this morning i took them over to lowe's because i had to get a new light There's an old, like, 1960s light hanging in the living room, and I've hit my head on it about 146 times in the last two years. And it's got the old retractable electric cord inside, and sometimes it comes flying down, so it's like laying on your head. I just was dealing with it. But uh, I had Willie in my arms the other day, and I hit myself in the head with it twice. And the second time, it came crashing down on me. And I said, all right, that's it. Time to replace the light. So Willie and I went and uh, picked out a light today. And I'll be doing that after I'm done recording the show. All right. And then also, I'm working on some graphics for our co-host, our fact checker, my sidekick, glenda i'm really putting some graphics together and i'm in the process of trying to run her voice that i've hooked up to chat gpt through an animation software so she can move her mouth off the graphic i created in real time and then as i mentioned i'm talking to a company right now trying to see maybe maybe i could grease them into becoming a sponsor and get access to this animatronic head they have so I can have it sitting next to me as a sidekick. Oh, it's going to be fantastic, folks. I've been working on it. 
Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to bring Glenda into the conversation a little later today. We're going to be talking a little bit about Yuval Noah Harari. You know I've done several shows on him. I, I don't like to make him the centerpiece of our discussions on technocracy and transhumanism because he's really just one of the players. But as far as where we are today in the present, he is fairly powerful because he wields influence. And folks like Barack Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, and others, these big technocrats look up to him. They call him a prophet. He is a good punching bag because he is extremely creepy. But we're going to be getting into a discussion on what he has said publicly and in his books, in his writings, in his speeches, on data and the value of data. And as you know, I, I always mix this in. I'll say, Yuval Noah Harari has said, data is the new goal. Data is more valuable than property. Data is so powerful that those who control the data are the gods of the new era you have no spirit you have no soul you have no free will those days are over now i'm obviously paraphrasing and i take bits and pieces from different species and different writings that come from yuval noah harari but i want to have a conversation with glenda uh, because she's obviously created by the technocracy, by the transhumanists. She comes out of open AI, which we will get into, I think, that discussion tonight. She gets, uh, she comes from open AI, which originally had funding from Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, right? Two of the big technocratic transhumanists that we have covered today. Two of the big pitch men. You know, these oligarchs, these PR men uh, for the system, for the technocratic transhumanists. So we'll bring Glenda in. I want to have this discussion with her about Yuval Noah Harari. And then also what we're going to do tonight, folks, uh, we're going to get back into the data centers. I think these are very important. I've been doing some additional research. We know now that they're building data centers everywhere. Uh, These things are popping up all around the planet they have to house and process and analyze all the data being collected from all the devices and then from all of the data sensors and the drones and the smart poles and all this other stuff i mean if you're looking at data and the processing of it in the non-conspiratorial non uh let's say threatening way you still need to collect and store and process and analyze data that has to do with all these cloud applications. So when I'm editing in Adobe Premiere or editing a photo in Adobe Photoshop, if I am saving that up to the cloud and pulling it down from the cloud, I don't do that with my intellectual property. But if I was, um, you know, all that stuff has to be done. We're really looking at the data centers from the standpoint of everything they're collecting to run this smart planet, run the technocracy overall. So we're going to get into the data centers. I'm going to show you a few tools that I found where you can look up how many data centers the various big players have. I'm going to show you what's coming beyond this cloud computing stage that we're in, because you know over the last couple shows, I showed you how cloud computing works. 
We're going to get into some of the metals, some of the resources, some of the materials needed to build all of these server racks inside the data centers, uh, all of the chips. For instance, Amazon creates its own chip now. It manufactures its own chip. And we're going to go through some of these materials because as we have discussions with folks like Wide Awake Jim, who says they're going to run out of materials, from what I found, they are continuing to work uh, beyond, okay, beyond the current materials and the infrastructure that we see today. In fact, one of the big issues that Wide Awake Jim brings up is they're going to run out of, let's say, uh, nickel, uh, lithium, and cobalt for all of the EV batteries and all the batteries needed to store energy coming from the solar panels and the windmills, and then these battery backups, they needed all of the data centers. And I've done a lot of research on this. Now they're launching or they have launched a recycling program. They've got these huge warehouses they're building to recycle, and they believe, I I mean, this is their words, it could be wrong, but they believe that they can recycle between 25 and 50% of these materials from the batteries, and then that recycled material, plus the new mines that Wide Awake Jim is talking about, will allow them to continue to produce the lithium, the nickel, and the cobalt at the pace that they need but beyond that they are already working on utilizing graphene oxide inside of batteries they are working on new systems new technology this is all coming down uh the pike at us folks so we're going to get into uh, i'm going to start with this article at bernardmar.com and this guy writes about future business and success and we're going to talk about what's next after cloud computing and this is an article written about a year ago and we're going to talk about that and then we're going to get back into the data centers i'm going to show you the tools that i've been using to track the data centers probably going to talk a little bit more about ashburn virginia and then eventually work our way into the technology that that drives Glenda, you know, Chat GPT, and we're going to talk about OpenAI and how they got started. Now, one of the other things I'm going to be doing uh, over the next few days is it's probably because I've been researching uh, artificial intelligence, but on Facebook, which I really just go on Facebook to stay connected to family and friends and keep an eye on the ground when it comes to gig work i like to know what's going on in the gig economy and so i'm going to do a couple of shows featuring the facebook groups the national groups with instacart which is a business i know a lot about and we're going to see if the people in there are making money or if they're suffering i don't want to sit here and laugh at them because a lot of them are hard workers they get up at five in the morning they work till 10 at night they're out there trying to save money for themselves or take care of their kids many of them take their kids on the shopping trips with them so we're going to look at that and then we're also going to look at what i've been seeing come to me because i've been researching ai all of these new ai tools that magically are appearing all at the same time, just like Microsoft, Google, and OpenAI coming out with a chatbot all at the same time, right? And then we have all these new AI tools. You could go in here, type in a couple of things, design a women's uh, you know, makeup line. It'll give you text and images. It'll come up with formulas. I mean, all types of stuff, folks. So this is clearly clearly uh done in a strategic orchestrated fashion 
So we're going to have to talk about it because it's getting out there in front of you, your kids, your grandkids. And so we have to understand what this is all about, why all these AI companies are suddenly all appearing at one time. So when we get back from the break, let's get into the discussion on what's next after cloud computing. And then I'm going to sort of bounce around between data centers and some of the technology and the metals and everything being used to build what I call the heart and brain of the technocratic smart planet, the data centers. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash all right this article is written in march 2022 it's at com. what's next after cloud computing over the past decade or so the cloud has become the dominant paradigm in the delivery of it infrastructure in both b2b that's business to business and b2c that's business to consumer use cases it certainly isn't going anywhere soon in fact forecasts are that spending on cloud-based software as a service infrastructure as a service and platform as a service will increase across all sectors over the next five years and we've seen uh, those numbers we also see the beginning of the exponential growth of uh, data centers too you know we've reviewed that here as well goes on to say throw through um throw emerging concepts like artificial intelligence as a service they call that ai aas and dev ops as a service that's d-o-a-a-s into the mix and the need for cloud infrastructure only becomes more apparent Concepts like cloud, essentially other people's computers, meaning we don't have to own the physical hardware ourselves and pay all of the associated costs with upgrading, maintaining, and securing it, don't die. But that doesn't mean that newer and potentially even more revolutionary ideas don't come along to take the limelight. And, and it's just my feeling it's not like these folks are ever going to run out of land, okay? They could, they have so much land right here in the middle of the United States to build these warehouses. My issue is that they need to keep filling those warehouses with servers, right? And at the current size and space, the physical space that these things take up, the amount of data they're collecting, which we showed you, is just astronomical, they're going to just keep filling up these warehouses with servers and data and have to be able to process and analyze it. It's just, it's monstrous. I mean, it's, it's insanity. And so as they keep moving everything over into so-called smart technology, 
and everything is being monitored, all the data is being collected, at, at some point, will they run out of space? I mean, imagine if this is the model moving forward for the next 100 years. At some point, are they going to run out of the space, not the physical land, but the space to store the data itself? Because they could build the data centers 500 feet into the sky and just stack them on top of each other. But at what point are they going to run out of the materials to create the computers, or will they ever? Do they have this in their long-term plans? Let's continue. Here are some of the newer paradigms that are quickly becoming the hottest topics in infrastructure and IT service delivery. While they won't replace what we have come to call, quote, cloud computing, end quote, they open up new ways of thinking about how we will deliver services that will transform customers' lives. So they have what's called hybrid cloud. Hybrid cloud is the combination of public and private cloud technology with a common user interface, ideally in a way that's as close as possible to being invisible to the end user. The aim is to deliver a, quote, best of both worlds, end quote, solution for situations where organizations may be handling many different types of data with distinct requirements regarding accessibility and governance. For example, an e-commerce business might choose to keep all of its products and service information on a public cloud system like Amazon Web Services or Azure, where it's immediately available to customers wherever they are in the world. At the same time, they might put all of their sensitive customer data securely into an on-premise private cloud where it doesn't leave their custody and is stored in a way that's compliant with legislation such as GDPR. Regardless, the data users within the organization would have a unified set of tools for accessing and querying the data without having to learn to administer different systems. A recent survey by NetApp found that three quarters of organizations plan to implement hybrid cloud infrastructure in the near future. So what they're talking about here is storing some of your company's data, let's say 75% of your company's data is going to be stored on the cloud, right? Which is just on a server or multiple servers located inside one of these data centers that we've reviewed here. And then let's say the other 25% is going to be stored on servers that you install in your business, in your building, on your premises, in your headquarters, whatever that may be. But then there will be software that allows you or your artificial intelligence algorithms or whatever to access both sets of data, no matter where it's stored, all at the same time in a seamless fashion, right? So whether that be, let's say, your website has to pull data from your product catalog, and then let's say it also has to pull data from the customer's uh, purchase history, invoicing, and such. Let's say you want to keep all the monetary transactions, the financial transactions stored in your business, and then you want to store all, like they say here, all the products and the catalog out in the cloud. Well, your system that you're building, the code you're writing to build your website that the customer is interfacing with, like if you guys open up 
Amazon app or eBay or something like that. Well, you have to be able to pull that data in a seamless fashion so the customer can look at their past purchase history, their invoicing, et cetera. At the same time, maybe they want to shop and they're going to go over and shop for products. Same thing here. So uh, this way, the person working in the office can access both sets of data in a very seamless fashion. Then we have what's called edge computing. Whereas cloud computing involves collecting data and sending it to a remote and sometimes distant data centers for processing, edge computing is about processing data as closely as possible to the point where it is collected. That might just sound like what everyone did before we had cloud computing. But in fact, the term edge is used to differentiate data and processing that happens away from the data center from that which happens within the data center. So it uh, isn't really right to say edge computing existed before cloud computing. Processing data at the edge saves on the bandwidth cost of shuttling data back and forward between devices and the data center, and of course, also allows greater speeds. A good example is the infrastructure needed to administer fleets of self-driving cars. Some of the data collected by the myriad of sensors, scanners, and cameras are not necessarily time-critical so can be sent to the data center and stored in bulk, such as how performance of the car's tires changes depending on driving conditions. Other information, like whether another vehicle that seems to be driving erratically is likely to collide with us, can be handled on the edge, where a quicker response could save lives. So in this particular case, you see what they're talking about? So the ability to process some of the data that whatever your system is, is collecting right on the fly right there, instead of having to go back and forth with the cloud, all right? So if you need information immediately in an emergency situation or something like that, all right? So that's what they're talking about there. And this will tie into what we may discuss today. I'm not sure. I'm still doing some research on it, is this idea of this intelligent computing. All right, where they want to use devices to store some of the data. It's, it gets to be um, complicated, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on every single one of these. The idea behind this is to introduce you to the technology that these folks are in the process of developing to get around some of the issues or complications that you or I may have noticed. Right, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm trying to figure out are they truly going to run out of space? Are they going to run out of materials to build chips and to build the servers and the server racks and the data centers? Uh, if I get to the point where I don't believe they're going to run out and that they've worked through all this, they've wargamed it all, then I'm going to have to just assume that the worldwide smart planet technocracy matrix is going to be here. All right. And, and you know, and then make my plans accordingly. If I truly believe that they are going to run out of materials, then maybe I change my plans and I go, hey, you know what? I don't think they're going to be able to pull this off. I'm also still in the process, folks, of trying to figure out, you know, almost 160 episodes in, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the goal is. I understand it's some sort of a Skynet 
Terminator, Matrix world. Uh, that's what I believe they would like to have. Uh, and that's what I want to figure out here. And, and if that's the case, you know, can we live outside of it or are we going to be forced into it? I, that I don't know yet, but I'm trying to figure that out for myself, for my family, for my child and for you guys, you know, lastly, so that you can try to work around it as well. Uh, next up, we have Sky Computing. Sky Computing has been described by University of California Berkeley professors Eon Stoika and Scott Schenker as, quote, the layer above the clouds, end quote. The term refers to a newer model of cloud computing known as multi-cloud, where organizations may pick and choose different cloud services from different operators according to their specific requirements. Just like the relationship between the actual sky and actual clouds, the IT sky is the environment where the clouds sit containing the infrastructure for managing the different cloud systems and ensuring they are all operating smoothly as part of a total IT ecosystem. Stoika and Schenker believe that the sky will be built around a set of open standards and protocols, as is the case with the Internet itself, but this is not true of the current public cloud environment, where competing environments like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and Azure all offer their own incompatibility. So what he's talking about here is the ability to utilize all these data centers and then be able to uh, store some of your data with AWS, that's Amazon, Google Cloud, or Azure, which is Microsoft, and then be able to access all of that data. So this would be called the sky, right? So now they want to develop something above the cloud called the sky, ladies and gentlemen. It all sounds, you know, very creepy. As you realize here, and what you should realize, is they're taking what is real, what is nature, and now even harnessing those words and turning them into words uh, for them to replace nature with technology that's what technocrats and transhumanists always want to do you know your devices are smart uh artificial intelligence is intelligent more intelligent than you store your data in the cloud we'll oversee it with the sky you see all of this stuff folks they just want to replace nature with their creation this technological prison planet biodome they want us to live inside i'll be right back this dust of gold with the dust of gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold 